Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And now, now, prepare yourself for the only talk radio show you'll want to turn up. Crank this thing. Sirius XM Pandora presents the place where your hard rock and metal voice can still be heard. Unfiltered, uncensored, say whatever you want. Hit the record button. Anything can happen, you know. I know that ain't nobody out there came to be mellow tonight, now did you? I say, I say there ain't nobody. I say there ain't nobody not out there that even wants to be a little bit mellow, now is there? This is the Trunk Nation Podcast Podcast. with host A. Trunk. Hey folks, it's Eddie Trunk and this is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. New episodes every Thursday, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out and joining me each and every week, wherever you listen, however you listen. Thanks for doing so. And uh, again, the interviews you get here on this show originated on my Sirius XM radio show, which is Trunk Nation, and heard live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on volume. Sirius XM 106, nightly re-airs, 10 to midnight Eastern, anything you want, anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. Please join me on Sirius XM each and every day for Rock Talk if you're in the U.S. or Canada. Of course, always bringing you some great interviews and some great content each and every Thursday, and this week is certainly no exception. Uh, This week we have for you K.K. Downing, former guitarist of Judas Priest, talking about his new band K.K.'s Priest. The first track from that band has been released, and that is Hellfire Thunderbolt, which is out now, full album and tour coming soon as well. Second interview a guitar hero from the 80s, Marty Friedman, best known for his work on many classic Megadeth albums. Marty has lived in Japan for a long time where he has a very successful career as a musician, TV host in Japan. He speaks uh, Japanese fluently and has put out a new album called Tokyo Jukebox. I believe it's volume three, an instrumental guitar record. So it's great to visit with Marty Uh, We're very international this week on the podcast. We've got Marty joining us live, or at the time live, from Tokyo, and KK joining us from his home in England. Now, KK talks about, we'll start with KK, and he talks about his feelings about Priest, his issues about Priest, how he'd like to have been back in the band, given that they're celebrating a 50th anniversary tour. Clearly, that is not happening So he's going about business with his own band, as we mentioned, called KK's Priest. So we have that going on with KK. And since this interview was done, Priest has announced a more extensive tour for their 50th anniversary. What's interesting, though, is Priest continues to show Glenn Tipton in the ads for their tour. We know Glenn did not do much, very little of touring last time Priest played We know, unfortunately, Glenn continues to battle Parkinson's. We certainly hope he's okay. 
We also know it's probably highly unlikely Glenn is a part of the next leg of Priest touring, and if he is, it would be in a very, very reduced role like he was before. But they continue, Judas Priest, in their press release for their tour, continues to picture Glenn and also does not say in the press release if Andy Sneap will continue to sub for Glenn Tipton when the band plays live. So we're not entirely sure who the second guitar player next to Richie Faulkner is going to be when Priest plays, given the fact that the ad shows Glenn Tipton, who would be wonderful if he could do it, but it's highly unlikely he can't. And the press release does not mention if they are going to continue using Andy Sneap. Now, Andy Sneap was doing it more in a fill-in role, helping out the last time around, and is by trade predominantly a record producer and had made comments saying he kind of really needs to stay with producing to keep that end of his world going. But we also know Andy loves Judas Priest and probably loves doing that gig as well. So it's just a bit unclear because Priest hasn't said who else is playing that second guitar with them for the bulk of their live shows. I guess we'll find out when they start up or when they do interviews, more interviews to promote the tour. KK's going to go about his business, as you're about to hear. He made a record, Tim Ripper Owen singing. He's going to go out and play some shows as well. Uh, also, interview number two, like I said, Marty Friedman, and he's talking about his new record and life in Japan and more. So that's all coming up for you. We'll start with KK. We'll go to Marty. If you're a regular listener of the SiriusXM show, I mentioned that I saw in advance of the first part of the Coming Kiss documentary. I would go back and listen on the app to the Trunk Nation show on Sirius XM that I did on Tuesday, where I broke down the KISS documentary in it. Uh, here on the podcast, in a nutshell, I'll tell you the first part that I saw is very good. Ace and Peter do not participate with new interviews. There are new interviews with Gene Paul, producers Eddie Kramer, Bob Ezrin. Very well done. If you're a hardcore fan, there isn't anything in it you probably didn't know already, but there's still some cool stuff in there to check out, and I'm sure you will enjoy it a lot. Uh, there is a weird moment in it where they reference that Peter Chris would not let them use the song Beth in the documentary, so that's a bit awkward and uncomfortable. And also, the most shocking thing about the timeline in it is that they completely jump from Destroyer to Dynasty and never go through making Rock and Roll Over, Love Gun, or Alive 2. Thought that was really, really strange, given that those records were when Kiss were the, Kiss were the biggest band in the world at that time. So that was a really uh, interesting and bizarre move, I thought, to, to not even mention that period. But that's how the timeline of it goes. It's a lot about the early days. It's a lot about Wicked Lester leading up to them breaking with Alive, and then it from there, after Destroyer, just kind of jumps to Dynasty and the wheels coming off. And really, the big question is going to be part two, which I haven't seen yet. A lot of fans are hoping they do a lot with the 80s period of the band, the non-makeup era. I can't say because I haven't seen it. My sense is it's going to be about the early 80s, them taking off the makeup, touching on the MTV era and then probably quickly jumping to the reunion with Ace and Peter, the wheels coming off of that, and then a big hard sell to what they're doing now, which let's be honest, they always like to sell what they're doing now, and that is continuing to tour. 
So there, that's my prediction on the second part, but I haven't seen the second part. The first part I did see, and it was very well done. However, no Ace and Peter, no new interviews. You hear them in voiceover from old interviews, and it's very much you know Gene and Paul's story and built around their story and their narrative as you would expect. Tommy and Eric are in it in part one, but talking about Kiss from a fan standpoint because, of course, they were both fans before they were in the band. So that's coming to A&E. I think it's June 27 and 28. More of the recap on my Tuesday show on volume, and I'll tell you about part two when I do have a chance to see it. Okay, let's get to our guests on the podcast this week. K.K. Downing starts it up. Marty Friedman finishes it up. That's next. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Eddie Trunk back with you. First up, as promised, K.K. Downing. Here he is on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And now we venture... Over to the UK, and we welcome in an old friend. Always brings a great smile to my face when I see this guy. So many great memories and such a fan for so many decades of his work, of course, with Judas Priest, and now getting ready to launch his own band called KK's Priest. Joining me is uh, the one and only KK Downing. Good to see you, my friend. How are you? Absolutely wonderful, Eddie. It's great to uh, to see you again because we're on the Zoom thing as well. So uh, yeah. good to see you looking well. and. Uh, a big hello to everyone over there. You know, uh, miss America so much, my uh, second home. And um, but hopefully we'll be back in not too much the distant future and play some shows for you guys. You know, we were talking a little bit about this during the commercial break before you came on. But obviously, you are in. Um, wh- where are you exactly in 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 England? KK, are you in Birmingham? Pretty much, yeah. I'm about an hour from Birmingham, so I'm pretty much right in the middle of the country, more or less. And how are things there as far as the situation with the pandemic? I was saying earlier, here in America, we're kind of opened up. How are things looking? It's good. Everybody's Everybody really now just wants to just go, go back completely to uh, normality and how it was before, because everybody's perception is that we're kind of over it now because we don't have any deaths. We've had the lowest death rate now. Uh, April was the lowest uh, on record for many years, actually. Uh, people wearing masks, so people don't get even get the flu now, you know. Um, so everybody's in a bit of an uproar because uh, everybody just <laughs> wants to throw the masks away and uh, and get out to uh, some concerts and, uh, you know, as they get out there rocking again. It sounds like we're just slightly ahead of you then, because just recently we were able to, if we're if you're vaccinated, get rid of the masks. Um, I was saying to my audience earlier, I got to go to the supermarket for the first time without a mask or the gym for the wow. first time without a mask. And it was like, I walked in, I felt like I was doing something wrong. They're like, no, it's okay, as long as you got the shot. And I'm like, I'm good. So it, oh. it feels good. It takes a little getting used to at first, but it feels good when you're able to do it. So it should be coming soon for you guys. Yeah, you must must have felt like you've won something, you know, because it's <laughs> such a thing to wear those blasted masks, you know, but, uh, you know, let's say fingers crossed. 
Have you gotten to get out and play a little golf? Uh, weather's beautiful here. Um, I think summer's come at last. And, uh, and yeah, I think I played the day before yesterday to get out there and get some fresh air. You know, uh, you obviously know I've been locked away for a fair bit, obviously, on the project and stuff like that. So um, it, it's good. With the COVID and the winter, you know, um, I'll say it feels like you've won something when you can get outdoors and the weather's nice these days. Yeah, we're going to talk about the project here in a second. But last thing, do you still have the golf course? I know you you had your no. own course. Do you, did you sell it or? Yeah, yeah, I've moved on, um, moved on, and um, and uh, back in the saddle again, as uh, Aerosmith once said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, back where we want you, playing guitar and and playing that flying V and killing it on that whammy bar. I got to tell you, man. I uh, speaking a smile to my face. I was. When I heard uh, the one song I've heard so far from the record, which came out here in the U.S. a, a couple weeks ago, Hellfire Thunderbolt, it just brought a huge smile to my face because it was exactly what people love you for and what they love Priest for and what we were hoping to get from you. And it just it reminded me of maybe even almost something that could have been on Painkiller. It was just so, so great. Now, I, before we talk specifically about the record coming out, here's something that I was thinking about. So you've been on with me a couple of times as you started to make your way back into metal. And it was very important to you. Was it not to actually lead with new music versus going out and doing nothing but nostalgia and old priest? I know you did that to kind of get things going for a couple of shows, but for you making a new record and a statement of new music seemed to be very important. Can you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way, really, because um, it just seemed to be an automatic thing, you know, to make a record. Um, and, and, and it was kind of a bit weird, Rick. Everybody probably knows I, I did a couple of token appearances, you know, that kind of did kind of whet the appetite, you know, but I'd spent so many years hanging around waiting for a call from the other guys thinking that that would always happen. But, you know, um, they confirmed that it never was. So I just wanted to kind of move on, you know, and obviously meeting up with Ripper again, you know, a year before last, I'm thinking, you know, this, this is something that really needs to happen because, you know, um, I really think that I've got, something really good to offer and obviously to be able to to be able to do things in my own kind of way without any other restrictions or anything that type of freedom um so i just sat down got the guitar and it was um january pretty much just after christmas and uh, within four weeks i had the material pretty much for the whole album within four weeks you know outlined and roughly demoed and I'm thinking, yes, there's an album there, you know. And then I was able to go full pelt. And it all came together really, really quite quickly. And um, and so essentially the record has pretty much been made for quite some time, you know. But when the COVID really dug in deep, Eddie, you know, I kind of took the gas off the pedal just with the final mixing and things. So I thought, well, you know, there's no particular rush, you know, so... And then I, I made a definite decision. I'm, I'm fed up with all of this now. 
I just want the record to be out. I want people to hear it. So that's the process we're going through right now. Correct me if I'm wrong, KK. I was thinking about this the other day, and and you know I've been a fan pretty much since the beginning. This is this the first thing you've ever done outside of Priest? Because all your decades in Priest, to my knowledge, you didn't really even guest on other people's records. I know Glenn had made some solo records. Is this the first music you've ever made outside of Judas Priest? It is absolutely is because I really didn't want to do anything else, you know, and and I was asked, but to me, you know, Priest was was the be all and the end all because I never quite worked it out, Eddie, because you know, if other guys go and do solo records, you know, um then if they if they create music, write and create music, if it's that good, surely it should be on a Judas Priest record. And if it's not that good, perhaps they shouldn't be doing it. And so this is kind of, was my kind of mindset. And I'm thinking, I'm I'm just going to concentrate on producing stuff that's really good. If it's not good, it goes in the bin or it gets shelved. And if it is good, I'll present it to the band. So I never really quite worked it out. But there is that big loyalty thing, isn't there, really? You know, um, to me, um, to be able to concentrate on on the thing that, you know, that you're passionate about. And to me, it was always about Judas Priest because I was a young kid when that, when uh, when I became a priest, <laughs> can I say, uh, <laughs> which I did. You know, um, a priest in Judas Priest. You know, l- long before I met Rob and um, and Glenn, and 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 I think the reason I'm I'm touching broaching on this subject, Ed, Ed, is I'd like to just touch on the fact that you know I still consider that you know that I am the same person. You know, and and right now I want to be musically in the future, in the present, but also I'm a part of the past as well. I can't shed my skin, you know, like, a, you know, I'm not the, the cobra, you know, I, I just can't shed my skin. I, I can't deny my divinity. I, I am who I am and I have my style, the way I play, the way I write and the way I perform, you know, and, um, and so therefore to justify you know, the name of the band. And I thought hard and long, you know, why should I call myself, you know, Kellogg's Frosties? There's there's an advert for Kellogg's, you know. Um, but I'm nothing to do with that. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't relate to me, you know. So um, this, is, this is where I'm at right at the moment. And I feel justified, you know, um, with the concept and everything that surrounds it to move forward. You know, and I feel that I, I'm justified more than other people are justified, you know, um, that are calling themselves, you know, priests. If that's if that makes sense. I hope that makes some some sense to the fans. I just don't wanna throw everything and leave everything behind because that's me, it's who I am. Yeah, well so it sounds like what you're saying is you have an eye towards the future with this, but you're also not going to deny and it would be ridiculous to deny 
your place as a as a co-founding member of Judas Priest and what you so you're going you want to play off the history and and also with an eye towards what you're doing new and and yeah. remarkably for the first time in your life outside of the banner of Judas Priest exactly because I was the loyal priest you know Rob left for 14 years you know Glenn left for six years doing a couple of solo albums with uh, John Antwistle and Cozy you know but I stayed you know, loyal and and true. And I never ventured off, you know, because I suppose I was there in the very beginning, you know, um, so the way it's unraveled and I just want people to have, you know, to have a little bit of a think about that when they, you know, I get the fact that people don't want two priests, but, but like you said, Eddie, I can go back and play, you know, the Ripper Years albums, you know, Jugulator and Demolition. We can play some of those songs, but I also want to play some songs, you know, in Priest that I was never really, you know, we never got to play, you know, um, some of the early stuff uh, and some of the latter stuff. And so I hope people are going to in, enjoy that. Uh, but first and foremost, I'm really, really pleased with the record, you know, uh, well, we, uh, one song has been released now. There's lots more to come, you know, even before the album comes out. So I'm really excited about that. We're working hard on still on a lot of things to come. Um, um, the, the, the Hellfire Thunderbolt was released just because I really couldn't make my mind up which song to release. But I thought maybe the, the, the length of the song and the ingredients or something, maybe it's a good, a good first thing to present. But I'm really excited to release a lot of other stuff, you know, um, and um, and I think it's a strong record. And uh, and even now, I'm started. I've started to write stuff. Uh, we've started to put stuff together for the next record, you know, while we're still doing the COVID thing and doing promotion for this record. Let me ask you about the name of the band, calling it KK's Priest. Did you? Where? How did that come to you? Obviously, it's it's what you just talked about. It's a reference to the past, but it's obviously your own your own thing but um did somebody put that did somebody come up with that name or was that you yourself that said uh the, the, you well, know that this is what i want to call it well i just wanted i felt that it was justified for me um because of my long legacy and obviously being there you know in the very beginning that i was still entitled because you know um Lots of things happened, and and people, even though, even though I did the book, I didn't put everything in the book, Eddie. You know, there's still things, there's so much I could have put in that book, you know. Um, but, you know, when things happened, for example, the year when I got angry and quit, um, Robert released two solo albums, studio albums that year in 2010 and he did a tour with Ozzy he went to Peru he did all of those things all of these things were building up you know and I was getting pressured to do an EP and I wasn't enjoying it enjoying the performances because Glenn just liked too many beers and stuff like that but it, it was all kind of building up in, in in me that I didn't feel as though I had the voice that I should um but having said all that what people don't know, but it is true that I was going to do the tour and I was speaking to Ian for a whole week about doing the tour. 
And I even had him send me over the set list. But the day, the, the, the day after, Ian sent me the set list because I called him back and said, I really like it because I was going to do the dance. I was going to do it. This is the Epitaph tour. This is the tour when you were yeah. you left. This was what was what yeah. ended up being Epitaph. Yeah, but 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 the press release got released the very next morning, and that's when I got really angry and sent him my second letter, and that was a real kind of sayonara, which was a sad situation because I was waiting for the guys. They would have known that I was anticipating doing the tour and having a change of mind but nobody even Ian who I was talking to was not really encouraging me you know and um and I felt pretty deflated you know but they they made the press release you know and uh, but anyway without delving into that too much it was all a sad state of affairs but at the end of the day Eddie we all agreed to retire we were all going to do the Epitaph final tour. I wasn't the only one that was, you know, we all agreed to finish the band. So all I, all I was quitting on was doing the last tour because I wasn't sure that it was one. I, don't, I couldn't bring myself to face doing it to start with, but I did change my mind, you know. I mean, I bought an Axe Effects unit from Germany. It was £2,000 to do that tour, you know. <laughs> um, but it's just the way that it unraveled. But the second letter I sent in, Jane obviously didn't like what I said. <laughs> and um, and uh, the rest is history. It's kind of the door was closed, I guess, you know, because I have written to the guys on two, three separate occasions uh, to let me back in, but the answer's been no. So I've just moved on with KK's priest and I feel justified that I should. And so I will. Well, we're going to talk more about KK's priest. Uh, we, we lost your video KK. So we're going to go to a break. I'm see if we can get your video back so that we can put this on the app so people can see it as well. Uh, there we go. Now you're back, but back. you know what? Let's do it. Let's do a quick break anyway, and talk a little bit about this new material, the band, the video. We've got more to cover with KK Downey again, uh, the record is out when? When is the actual release date for the full record? August the 20th, um, Eddie, is the release date. So we've got a while till then. Um, but like I say, um, I'm really over the moon with uh, how, how the first song has been received, you know, and particularly on YouTube, obviously going pretty viral on there. So it's fantastic. I'm really, we're really, really pumped up, you know, me, Ripper, and the lads, and we just want to get out there and play to the fans, you know, and, um, you know, some new music, some old music, and some stuff, and we'll be listening to the fans, and, uh, you know, what do they want us to uh, to uh, to play for them, you know, and I think that's a good benchmark. If they want us to play just new, new music, we'll just play that. Um, but a mixture of anything they would like us to, to hear and blast out, uh, we're ready to do that. As good as the new music is, there's nobody on the planet that's not going to want to hear some Priest classics. You know that. <laughs> so we definitely will. You'll be getting requests from me and everybody else. Trust me. Uh, let's uh, let's do a break and come back and talk some more with the great KK Downing joining us here on Trunk Nation. More to cover as we continue chatting with him live on this Wednesday right after this short break.
Okay, we're back with K.K. Downing, K.K.'s Priest. The debut album, Sermons of the Sinner, is out on August 20th. Already out is the single and video, Hellfire Thunderbolt. You heard a little bit of it as we went into the break. It is just killer, killer, to me, very painkiller feeling, great sounding, classic sounding Judas Priest material with that vibe, that unmistakable K.K. guitar sound. And, and of course... Our good friend Tim Ripper Owens is the singer in this band. So, so KK, let me ask you about that. How how has it been working with Tim again? I I think you know Tim when Tim came into Judas Priest, obviously with with Jugulator and then Demolition, uh, records that I think now are better received than maybe they were at the time, just because they were such big shoes he was filling. And Tim has gone on to do such other so many other great things since then. Fantastic voice. Um, I imagine it was the it, it made all the sense in the world to revisit and go back to work with him for this. Absolutely, because we we obviously had that familiarity, the association, and obviously first and foremost, obviously he's got an incredible voice, and he really does. And um, and and like you say, there is a for you know for the for for those songs in a live situation, so. You know, we've got lots of things to draw from. Um, but yeah, and um, nothing better than a couple of old buddies getting back together and doing what we what we did, you know. So, and I've been checking back live in London, the DVDs and stuff like that. And um, some real magical moments, you know. And we did a lot of shows together around the world. We really, really did so. What, what do you so, make... KK, what do you make of those two records now as some time has passed that, that you did with Tim, with, with Demolition and Jugulator? Looking back on them in retrospect, how do you feel about them? Yeah, well, I think they're quite unique and magical, really, because, you know, I think, uh, you know, we, we did get into, you know, we had a new entity, obviously, as a front man in Ripper, and as I said before, Ripper was younger, and I think that um, lots of things were were moving on because we had so many. I think it was like six years between Painkiller, or it was quite a lengthy amount of time. You know, Glenn was away during his um, solo albums, but when we came back together, um, we've got no idea what would have happened. If we'd have stayed together, Rob hadn't have left, Glenn hadn't have done his thing, where we would be at. So I guess we were, um, I guess, dropped in at the deep end, really, kind of suspended in time, thinking, okay, what are you going to do? But I guess, you know, what was coming out of us naturally, as songwriters, myself and Glenn, was Jugulator, which really is like, uh, a, a metal almanac when it comes to like guitar riffage if you go and play it and um, it's pretty brutal but at the end of the day uh, they sit there in history now and I think you're absolutely right you know they stood the test of time and people um, I read comments all the time you know play cathedral spires play bullet train play you know these, these songs and because there was a pretty good kind of almost tongue-in-cheek element is some of the stuff it was fun in a way it was pretty brutal but it was kind of um 
it was it was good music to be enjoyed you know um so we'll have all of those elements i'm sure back with us again so um it's been been too long um and hopefully we can get the the records circulated because speaking to the the guys in the other camp they're not available they're not doing anything with them and they and they need to be put out there for to made available for people to to get a hold of you know it's very frustrating really to have a part of your history locked away um like it doesn't exist anymore mm -hmm. but we'll be fighting the campaign to to make that happen you know and um and um and we hope that it does another another former priest member that i know was initially involved in this was drummer les binks what is his status with this now because i don't believe he's on the song or in the video you've released is no. he still involved no no um Les les suffered unfortunately an injury and um wasn't able to kind of get on board with the album and um but i have spoken to him not too long ago and um and definitely, you know, he confirmed if we can get some shows, you know, if it's UK, some European stuff, um, he would like to step up and special guest with us, which will be fantastic, you know, because I want to be able to play um, the Ripley Years stuff, but I also like to, to play the Les Binks Years, which we did at the Steel Mill in Wolverhampton. We were able to play Beyond the Realms, which Les wrote and um, help them for leather and some, some cool stuff like that, you know. And, you know, like I say, um, we're kind of, you know, time is moving on. We're losing a lot of friends along the way and we need to start to, to enjoy and to be able to, to, to bring a lot of things back as best we can, memories, We've 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 grown old together. Not you, Eddie. I'm not saying, but what I'm saying. Me is, too. No, <laughs> we were just I'm talking just about how long we've known each other. It's been a long time for. Yeah. I've grown old with you yeah, too, but, man. <laughs> but what I'm saying to all the fans out there, I know that you know we've got the treasured memories. We take our music with us. It's a part of us. You know, we had our first beer. We had our first fun with a girl in the back of a car. Whatever it is, but it stays. You know, it doesn't go away like my video keeps going away. <laughs> um, and so why not, you know, let's be happy about who we are, what we've created, you know, without all of this bullshit, basically. Let's get out there and, um, you know, like the, the 50th anniversary, oh, I, you know, I was so disappointed those guys wouldn't let me have anything to do with the book or I haven't even got a copy. They haven't even sent me one. You know, um, I don't know what's going on, but it's all a bit ridiculous. We need to, we're not going to be on the planet forever, are we? You know, and and when we do lose special friends, and you know who they are, Eddie, you know lots some everybody, you know, like I do as well, lots of friends. Um, it's time to have fun. When we get out of this COVID thing again, we need to get back to more like we remember the golden decades, the 70s, the 80s, and, uh, and have fun with it all again. And, um, and that's why I still want to be who I am, do what I do. You know, I want to uh, bring all of that and, um, 
and and have some some good years and get back around the world again and and meet all of my friends and all the fans everywhere um just like it was at any point you know in the um and i think that that's a good thing i think that's a good outlook for me to have you know and i'm excited about it so when the album comes out sermons of the center on august 20th besides yourself and tim who else will people hear on the record and is that going to be the same band you're going to go out and tour with absolutely yes it's aj who is um he has his own story to tell you know hopefully you can get him on at one point um you know, but he's going to be doing he's doing some interviews tomorrow and stuff. Um, and what does he do in the band, KK? He's a he's uh, he's a guitar player. Is the other guitarist? My my fellow axe man. Yeah, he's like a younger version of me. Right, I'm jealous, but you know. Um, but I grew up with his family. We went to school together with his uncle and his dad. And AJ actually first started. He's got that Hendrix moment that I had when I first saw Hendrix. I was afflicted by that, you know, and it changed my life. Um, he saw me on the Jugulator tour or the Demolition tour with Ripper in Birmingham at a smaller venue. And he had that moment as well. And he kind of wanted to be me, you know, um, bless him. He never will be, but... Um, <laughs> um, but he's playing but in a band with you. That's got to be a dream for him. <laughs> he's, he's become a great guitar player and a great and a, so basically he looks good plays good and performs good and um you know and uh and then we've got tony newton you know who is a bass god for sure um thunder bass he does a quite you know he, tony does a lot of stuff producing as well songwriting and playing he actually formed voodoo six with richie faulkner actually uh, oh, wow. a few years ago yeah so um, he's got a story to tell as well, but Tony does quite a lot of stuff, mixing Maiden albums and stuff like that. So I love Tony because he's, <laughs> he's, he's absolutely perfect for this band, you know. And um, and then and we've got Sean Eld from the band Cage, who Ripper, um, who's played with Ripper quite a lot of time, you know. Um, when Les couldn't do it, we looked on the, on YouTube. Tim says, I know a guy, he's played with me, the guy, we saw him playing painkillers, some other stuff. I thought, you know, we've got to get this guy over because he, he's an amazing, on that video we've done, the drums are absolutely killer. And I hope yeah. everybody agrees with that, but they really, really are. So uh, the band's great, couldn't do it any better. I'm happy about absolutely every element and um, can't wait to release more products to everyone in a short space of time. Can't say when. I want it to be a surprise, but not too long to wait. Um, and when you talk about the lineup and the history of KK's Priest, I was talking about this a little bit before you came on the air. Uh, a guy that is a mutual friend of ours that's going through a tough time right now who was a part of this very early on is Dave Ellison. And uh, yeah. I know that he's recently lost his gig in Megadeth. The story's been well documented out there. Um, do you have any comment? And have you been in touch with Dave? And is there any side of you that now that he's out of a gig, there might be a chance for him to? I know you have a bass player, but maybe he makes he he'd be you know you'd want him to be a part of this in some way. No, um, we're all consolidated now. We've actually been obviously working pretty hard for a, a, over a year and a half now together. As a, as a unit and uh, obviously we've got 
um, all of these videos we're about to release. So we're totally consolidated. Um, but but yes, you know, um, uh, Dave and I, we're, we're you know every now and again we're in touch, and obviously um, I did send Dave um, David a. Uh, a text saying, you know, obviously, you know, you've got a lot of friends around the world, and he does. I know, did as well. I did as well. He's, he's absolutely, he's, he's not just liked, he's actually loved, you know, and because yeah. he's such a gentleman, and, yeah. and, and he gives, he gives time to, I like to say, can I just say this, you know, I, I always felt that, proud of myself in priest, I, I really felt I was the one guy that was, the very last person to hang out with the fans and 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 just socialize and and all of that but david is exactly that person he really is and everybody says that about him it's just uh, you know what happened and we talk about it i talk about it with other journalists and things like that it was just a case if this had have happened in the 70s or the 80s it would have just been put down to rock and roll <laughs> you know and um you know and uh he's no different to anybody else we've all got strengths and we've all got weaknesses especially as men i'm afraid and um you know um you know so many have like kept the doors closed where david you know messed up and left the, the door ajar but he's no different to anybody else you know and um so wish him well and everything, and um, and I know that he will obviously come back and through this because he's so good, and he is an amazing bass player. There's no two ways about it. Because when we did the gig at Steel Mill, he flew in. We had one rehearsal in a freezing cold rehearsal room. He just got off the plane, you know, and Ripper as well. We all did, and um, run through the set once, and we then we we went out and did the show. For better or for worse, you know. For, hey, I don't, I don't, I know, I, I know, I can't, I know, I don't, I don't want to keep you too much longer, and I don't have too much time left in my show. But I do have to ask you, you know, you wrote, uh, you wrote your book, which I thought was fantastic, a great read, and you referenced a little earlier in this interview that you left some stuff, a lot of stuff out of that book. Would you like to write a second book at some point? Yeah, I might have to really, because you know, people don't know you know everything i'm so sick of people saying oh kk he left to look after his golf course he retired none of that's true it was it's true i sent in a retirement letter when i was trying to keep everything amicable and those guys had the purse strings as well you know so i was trying to bow out gracefully um but then i tried to um then i was looking to re uh to to do the tour and finish uh the the end of the band which was planned um and then then i was denied that opportunity as well and that's when the second wet letter went in giving the real reasons and the the explicit restriction to it for them to ignore everything in my first letter and that means everything you know um as though it didn't exist because it didn't and but what was in the second letter it was a lot easier for the other side to um just to go with the contents from my first letter and that was unfair to me because they told the world things that were not you know intended so but it is what it is so maybe a second book you know could be in line 
Uh, but first and foremost, um, I'm so looking forward to um, to kind of leaving as much of that behind as I possibly can and just move forward with enjoying music and meeting everyone and traveling the world and um, and keep pumping out some, some killer metal. You you were the first to write uh to write the book a book in priest since you wrote your first book Rob released a book did you read it No No I didn't I didn't read Rob's book No No, no. interest uh, uh, No I was doing doing other things you know um No I didn't really have an interest to do that because you know um because like say it was fine. It was going okay because, but there's lots of things that those guys need to tell the world. It's very frustrating because it's very frustrating, you know, because they appointed lawyers. I was just sitting there doing my own thing, letting them get on with everything. Um, but then they wanted to kind of oust me from my inheritance, really, from Judas Priest product, and that's going on now. So I'm, I'm sure it will end up, you know, in a court because it's not fair. Because I was a part of, and I paid for all of that imagery, you know, uh, t-shirts, album covers, all of that thing, and I'm being denied to be a part of that. And it's not fair. It's not right. But people don't know that, Eddie. But like I say, you know, it's hard for me at the moment because I'm so excited about moving on with all the music but i guess it will always be there for um you know um but but like i say i wish people knew everything um and they would perceive me differently in lots of people you know but i think lots of people do see it and understand it hopefully and um and understand the main thing is it's all about music and the sound and uh, and the guitar solos and the vocal it's all about everything um and um and like i say hopefully and well definitely you will be having some new exciting songs coming your way really soon yeah i heard during a commercial break a voice somewhere came out of nowhere and said you're going to get the record soon so i'm greatly greatly looking forward to to that um just a couple quick things and i'll let you go kk you mentioned earlier, uh, as you know, Priest are celebrating 50 years, a, a bit early, uh, maybe 50 years since you guys first all met in school, but I always mark anniversaries from the year of a first record, but they're doing it a bit early and they're going to uh, go and do a run of these dates. Is there any side, like you just said it yourself, none of us are getting younger. We're all fans. You, you've made it clear and, and you, you said that the door was closed to you to go back. But before this whole thing, a button is put on the history of Judas Priest, which, again, you're a founder of. Do, do you hold out any hope or any optimism or for us as fans, any optimism that we could see you walk out on that stage and play Sinner one more time? It, it's going to it's definitely going to happen with KK's Priest. <laughs> for people that don't uh, have the visual kk was shaking uh, his head no during the whole question by the way <laughs> those guys have a complete another agenda and they, they 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 have been saying they're happy with the way that they are and 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 that's it it's done and dusted there is no more but and so i've kind of i've, I've cl i couldn't i couldn't i couldn't do any more than i did you know you know um, I couldn't really, 
um, uh, but it's just unfair. Uh, nobody ever asks them really, you know, the real deal. They just continue to, and they will forever in a day. You won't get, you know, the story, you know, what what the deal really is. Uh, it's as simple as that, really. They're very happy telling everybody, okay, okay, oh, you know, it just makes me look bad in front of the, he left to look after his golf course. I had an international management company looking uh, looking, uh, looking after that. Truon Management, a big American company, you know, Truon. Uh, that was dealing with your uh, golf course. They look after 200 courses in the States. They were managing that, that course for me, and that had been up and running and open for at least six years prior to me quitting. You know, so that was just a nonsense, really. You know. And, have, you heard uh, how, have you heard how Glenn is doing? I haven't. I wish somebody would say, really, because obviously, you know, as much as we have, you know, had issues, you know, that came to a boil, we had a very good relationship on I me mean, for, for, for a long time, Eddie, you know, and I respect Glenn uh, amongst anybody. Um, I really respect Glenn because he was the one person that put, the, put a lot of time in and a lot of work and a lot of effort just like me, you know, Rob and Ian would be on holiday somewhere doing other things. But we were the guys that sat there writing the songs, recording, producing, you know. And, and uh, you know, I'll never take that away from Glenn. His work ethic was, you know, um, it, it just came to a point where I was saying, Glenn, can you just, like, not have as many beers when we play in performances? Because I feel, I feel unstable, you know, I feel insecure. You know, um, but, um, you know, other than that, you know, um, like I say, I revere and treasure, you know, everything that we created together, you know, myself and Glenn, I really do, you know, and I wish him all the best. And, um, and I, I would welcome any update uh, um, as, as I can to Glenn's, you know, health and his uh, well-being. If there's somebody listening to this interview right now that never heard Judas Priest, a young guy, young woman, a young fan, of all the records, what's the first one you tell them to get? Well, I think probably I would say, I'd probably say British Steel because I, I, I think that that was the turning point, not just for Judas Priest, but for the metal, uh, the genre of metal anyway, you know, because... We had just consolidated ourselves for the first time on that album because we had, you know, the razor blade, British steel. We had the songs. For the first time, we were all clad in leather, not just me and Rob or just me, you know. Um, and, uh, and I think that that was kind of, um, for me, the first time that I felt really, really happy because I liked how the band sounded. I liked how it looked. I was happy with all of the songs. I was happy with the album cover. Uh, and we just went out and, and you know, and uh, we went out uh, in the UK with Iron Maiden supporting. You know, it just seemed like the world just became a metal world from that point. So I would say British Steel, please. Yeah. And I got to tell you this last thing, and uh, I don't know where you land on it, but as fans and as a voter, it makes me nuts but Judas Priest was on a ballot for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, didn't get in. 
Uh, we know you belong there. Uh, you certainly don't need it to validate your career, but obviously as fans of the band and as metal fans, we are, uh, you know, we're outraged that it still hasn't happened. It didn't happen for Iron Maiden this year. So you're in good company. Uh, does it, does it, do you think about that kind of stuff at all? Or is it just something like here in America, we obsess over it and it is what it is. Cause by the way, that's where you could end up on stage with them again. You know that, right? <laughs> I don't know what it is. Do you have to be dead or very close to it before they give you the <laughs> thumbs up? Well, that's what I yell well, about I mean, all the time. They wait so long that, you know, I mean, they made Deep Purple wait so long. John Lord, rest his soul, wasn't alive. It's insane. There's not, there's, I know there's no such thing as a young legend, but, I mean, come on. They, <laughs> they have to draw the line somewhere. Like you said, you know, say wait too long. Anything could happen, and it seems so unfair. I mean, for example, I mean, take myself now. I'm 70 years old in October. You know, if they want to induct us next year or the year after and I'm not there, well, thanks a lot. <laughs> God forbid, KK. Hey, today is Charlie Watts' 80th birthday. You got at least 10 more good years ahead of you, my friend. Well, I Happy birthday, Charlie. Yeah, send me whatever it is that they give you. <laughs> I need some of it. Listen, it's it's so wonderful to see you smiling and happy and excited. I'm smiling as well. The fans who have heard your music are. It's wonderful to have you back doing this. You were very much missed. You know I've always been a fan. And uh, we want to remind everybody that the album, Sermons for the Sinner, is out everywhere on August 20th. I'm sure you could pre-order it now. The single and video is out now for Hellfire Thunderbolt. The, again, the album's still a few months down the line, so we'll do another round when the record is actually out and everybody yeah. has heard it. And then maybe by then you'll have some tour dates to talk about too. Yeah, sure. If I, if, if I could just say um, kkspriest.com, you know, um, if everybody heads over there, then they can keep uh, updated with everything that's happening because everything is, is pretty new, you know. So I invite everybody um, to check. And you're on out. social media now. I saw you're on Twitter as well, the KK's Priest, and you yourself. So, so now people can follow you there also. Yeah, yeah. So that's really cool. And like I say, um, I couldn't be happier. And thank you all the fans who have clicked onto YouTube and and checked out the video. And thank you for all of your fabulous comments. And um, and I, I knew, I, I knew that the loyalty of the fans of the music and um and and my head's in a fantastic space and and i can speak to the rest of the guys as well so um you know please um we're looking forward to say getting the, the new songs over to you and they will be coming very very quickly thick and fast well we will keep the fans up to date on everything happening and uh hope to see you here in the states soon and it's always great to visit with you, KK. Anything you need, you know where to reach me. And all the best to you. Stay safe, okay? And thanks very much, Eddie. And you're a star. And uh, for everything you do, keep on doing it. Don't change, because we need you. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Take care. All the best to you and the family. We'll talk soon, okay? Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, everybody. Well, my thanks to KK Downing. Always great to visit with him. Looking forward to hearing that full record very, very soon. Coming up next... It is Marty Friedman, formerly of Megadeth. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra. 
just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's get to a second interview for you this week on the podcast. Joining us from Tokyo, here's Marty Friedman. In Japan, where our guest is, it is 3 o'clock in the morning, so they are 13 hours ahead. So good morning or good evening to Marty Friedman. How are you, Marty? What's going on, Eddie, man? Is this, I was talking to you before, are you a nocturnal guy? So are you up late or are you up uh, super early? What is it for you? You know, every single day is different. It really depends on what I was doing. You know, if I'm not doing anything, then I'll go to bed early. But if I'm doing something like working, I could work all through the night and not even go to sleep. So it's really a, it's just completely, uh, you know, lopsided. And um, whatever happens, you know, the times I'm, I'm one of those lucky people who can pretty much sleep at any time when I need to sleep. So, uh, yeah. So right now it's it's, you know, you're live. So we're doing this live and uh, that's why I'm here. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- do you find it? You know, I was saying to my audience earlier, you got you've been in Japan now for, I think, close to 20 years. Right. You've been living yeah, there? about seven, 17, 18 years by now. Yeah. And now in recent years, you started to work the U.S. a little bit in making these records. You've come over and toured a few times. Is it cha- yeah. is, Do you find it challenging, I imagine, promoting and working what you're doing to back to, your, to, to the American market, being in, in a place like Japan, being, whether it be logistics, the time difference? Has it been a challenge? Yeah, all of those things are a little bit of a challenge, but um, it's just what I do. And uh, as long as there are people who will come to see me play, I really want to play for them because it just means the entire world to me that people support me from all different countries in the world, not just the U.S., but everywhere. And uh, you were so kind to come to some of my shows. And uh, I think you came out to L.A. or New York or one of those one of those A two few of them. Yeah, great to have you out there. And I just love playing anywhere, you know, anywhere that they have an electric outlet, you know, I'm ready to play there, (laughs) you know, and um, so, yeah, I really miss playing in the States. Um, The challenge is really, um, you know, it's, it's scheduling, you know, because living in Japan, um, you do a tour is very short. So you have to fill the rest of the year with other things. And there's so many things filling up my time here in Japan. So to block off a good solid six, eight weeks to go, to other countries to tour can be a little challenging, but it's always something that I make sure that I do. And because I just love it and I I miss being in America. Um, I I was uh, fortunate enough to do a Japan tour in April. Um, You know, there's a lot of touring going on here in Japan, but uh, not everybody's lucky enough to be able to do it. I would say maybe 30% of the acts who normally tour are touring now. So I was lucky, lucky to do uh, you, you know, a pretty big tour for Japan is seven shows. Usually bands come and they do three or four shows, three or four cities in Japan. And I was lucky to do seven. And um, the last show was with a full orchestra and uh, we filmed everything. It was really a fortunate thing to be able to do. But now it's like, OK, my record's out. And uh, this is about the time where I'd be touring America or Europe or Australia or something like that. And um, really sad that... Um, 
you know, it's out and all dressed up and no place to go, so to speak, touring wise. But um, I'm hearing all kinds of great things about countries becoming a little bit closer to opening up and and I'm, you know, hearing things from uh, agencies and touring things that are about to happen. So as soon as international things happen again, um, I'll be right back out there. I just can't wait to get to American play. Yeah, I think international is the challenge for sure right now. And obviously that impacts you living in Japan. But here in America, I mean, the floodgates are open. I mean, there was like 10 tours announced yesterday alone starting as soon as like a month or so from now. So things are starting to happen. But overall, Marty, how did how did Japan do in terms of COVID? Were you guys seriously locked down at any point? Is What is the status of, of the area you're in now? Are, are you pretty much past it? Or wh where are things at in that part of the world? I don't think it was ever as serious as what I heard um, going on in LA, where like almost everything is closed and things like that. Um, it's actually really been fine as far as, um, convenience and normal life. The only thing that's not normal is, um, the limiting of events where a lot of people show up, um, and, uh, doing concerts, you know, there are some agencies that do them and some agencies that don't do them. And it's really just a matter of the policies of the agencies that are willing to take those risks. And uh, believe me, it felt great to finish an actual tour with, with absolute no problems, all safe. Everybody was happy, followed all the regulations. There's a lot of regulations for things, but I think there's nothing like a really strict lockdown you hear about some countries with, with curfews, things like that. This all being said, um, we're far from being cured of COVID here. Um, the vaccine is not really a thing yet, um, like I, I hear it is in America, and it seems to be working very well. Um, yeah. I'm not educated enough on the issue to know whether um, anything about it, really, but I can just tell you that um, it's not uncomfortable here in Japan, but I definitely do miss international travel, and, um, and that's about the, the size of it. Everything else is, is really pretty much normal over here. You mentioned the show you did do with an orchestra there. So you said you shot that. I'm imagining plans for that to come out at some point. Yeah, actually, um, you can see some of that on my social media right now on my Facebook. There's a there's a digest of uh, the orchestral concert. And um, actually, just before talking to you, I was uh, looking through some of the new edits of of that. And we did a full show. And there's like 15 minutes or so that they're on my Facebook that you can check out if you like. Um, just a big thrill and a wonderful, you know, capping off of my tour because, uh, you know, not a lot of people want to take those risks. You know, there's financial risks and there's health risks. You know, if you're the one who, you know, who, if your show is responsible for some kind of new breakout or big numbers rising from someone that was at your show, you know, that's yeah. a real downer over here. So, um, you know, it took a lot of uh, balls on a lot of people's you know, it took a lot of guts for some people to take the risk, but the fans all showed up and they followed every regulation and it was all great. And um, we filmed some of the uh, the other shows, the non-orchestral shows too, and hopefully those will see the light of day sometime soon. Yeah, for people that aren't aware of your story, and you've been on with me a few times, but you, you moved to Japan, as you said, about 17 years ago. You speak uh, Japanese fluently. And in addition to music, you do 
a lot of other things there. You're a, you're a TV celebrity. You, you've done a bunch of stuff. So when you play and tour in that country, are you, are you, uh, I imagine you're viewed there as way more than just the former guy from Megadeth. Like you're on a, you're, you're looked at in a whole different light there. Are you not because of all the other things you've done? Can you touch on that? Like the way you're perceived by people in Japan and how they view you? It's very interesting uh, because Japan um, has so many different outlets where I've had my finger in so many pies that um, you really don't know what the person knows me from. Um, so if I go out uh, and someone comes up to me and talks to me, um, they'll say, oh, I saw you in this, in this TV show. You're great in this show. Or I really like this thing you did. Or I like the commercial you did. Or I'm a fan of yours. I have all your albums or stuff. Um, all different things. And some people who know me from one thing have no idea of my musical history. And some people who do know of my musical history think it's absolutely crazy and funny that I'm doing variety television programs and, and I've been in a couple of movies and some commercials for a long time. And, and um, a lot of TV stuff that you wouldn't expect someone who's grown up in heavy metal to do. And um, so that kind of, those people kind of get a kick out of it. And um, a lot of people don't know my entire story because it's so incredibly spread out, which is absolutely fine for me because, um, you know, at heart, you know, I'm, I'm music, but I love doing other things. And it, and it really brings new people into my music who had never, never discovered my music before. So my audiences are really strange demographic. You know, there's a lot of girls, there's a lot of older people, there's uh, younger people, there's families, and then there's diehard metal fans. And then there's people who would be your definite listeners. Um, there's just everybody on there. And um, it's really kind of neat because, um, you know, I think uh, to be known for just one thing, at least in my case, might be a, bit, a bit, little bit limiting. Um, there's a lot of stuff that I want to do. Of course, music is the main thing that I want everything to funnel into. But I think all the other stuff that I do actually gives me more life experience to draw upon and um, just running into different situations that don't just happen in recording and touring, recording and touring. So uh, I'm just very thankful for the opportunities that uh, I've been able to have over here. And uh, it's just really funny sometimes, you know, when people come up to me and they don't know really what my real, real gig is. And um, it, it's, it's I, it, as long as you like anything that I've done, even if you don't like it, if you've heard it and you're interested in it or whatever, I'm still impressed by that. So it's a good thing. You know, I saw a documentary and I think it was on Netflix recently, and it was about the, the way Americans are perceived in Japan and how people can go there who have no talent, and I'm not saying this is you, God no, you have a ton of talent, but there are people that go there who who seek celebrity, and because they're from America, if they can come up with some quirky thing, like they've tried so hard in the U.S. to become popular, and then they'll have this idea for, you know, just some gimmick or something they do, and they go to Japan, and they have agents that will actually sign them up and work with them to try to make them 
famous in, in, in Japan where they couldn't become famous anywhere else just because they're American and they came up with something that really resonated with the Japanese people that they found amusing. It was, I don't know if you heard or saw that doc, but it's really fascinating. This kid just moves from California and they, they talk about a few other people that just go there and they go to this agency and they, okay, so what can you do to make me famous? And this agency will work with them because they're American to try to make them famous in Japan. Uh, this sounds like it's very, very possible. Um, thing about this is, um, and what this is one great thing about Japan, which I love, um, they will throw anything up to the wall and see if it sticks. <laughs> they will try anything, anything. And what what you say, I don't know the story, I don't know the doc, but what what probably happens in a few cases is something will be quirky and funny and interesting, and we'll find a spot on a TV program once or twice or a couple of times, and that's it. Um, and, you know, and, and that's very interesting and it's very funny, but uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know anything about, I've never heard of anybody like that who's had any kind of longevity whatsoever. There right. is a few American people in the Japanese media, three that come to mind other than myself, and they're all like uh, news, um, news reporter types um, and uh, very, very well, very knowledgeable. One guy is, uh, he's, uh, um, I can't think of the word in English, but he's uh, from Tokyo University and he's just a brilliant, brilliant speaker. Um, there, there's there's novelty, novelty things from all over the world, not just America. There's some people from Africa um, and some really clever folks from Africa, Africa doing some really interesting stuff on TV and stuff. TV is always, always looking for new faces and new variety and new, new funny things to latch on to. Um, and so, like I said, they'll try anything. And, um, but to actually do something for a long time, I really don't know of hardly anybody. Um, there's a couple of people, like I said, uh, like I just mentioned, but, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting place, and and there's you know there's so many weird angles to every single thing here that if you have an interest in Japan and you're willing to really really go crazy working hard, um, you could probably do some interesting things here, make a living or not that that I can't promise you, but there's a lot of interesting things to do here. Right. I'll, I'll try to find the link to the doc and send it to you. You might find it interesting. Uh, I would. Talk I would love to. Yeah. Yeah, let's talk about um, your album, the latest album, Tokyo Jukebox 3, which is obviously the third of these the series of records that, that you've made. Um, tell me about this, and I want to talk to you specifically about, uh, and I before you came on the air, I butchered the name of the song and video. Uh, I want to say- Butcher it again, man. Butcher it again. I love hearing, every, everybody says the title's different. That's yeah, to I'm be expected, but I'd love to hear it. Okay, I'm going to try to alter it a little bit because I know I was wrong the first time, but I'm going to say, uh, make an aid. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> what is it? Tell me the name of it. It's Makinaide, which means uh, don't give up or don't lose or, you know, it's just a very encouraging thing. Yeah. And the video is is awesome. You've got some young kids in there playing with you. And then uh, at the end, you, there, it seems like there's a bunch of fans that pop up. And then I was really happy at the very end, speaking of don't give up and that theme, 
to see your old bandmate, uh, Jason Becker, make a quick cameo there at the end as well, which was wonderful to see. Um, talk a little bit about Tokyo Jukebox 3, and for people who aren't familiar with the previous two records, give them the, the vibe of this record, because it's a little bit of a mix of a lot of things, right? Well, yeah, but it still sounds like it could just be any one of my solo records, because I basically destroyed everything. I just put everything into a meat grinder and just destroyed it. I destroyed all of my favorite songs, put it that way. I put it, I took a bunch of my favorite songs and um, I kept the essence of the songs, the parts that I really loved, the parts that were very important to the songs, the parts of the songs that um, you can't have the songs without. I kept the essence of those things and then I just Martyized it and um, Martyized the hell out of it. And uh, on this Tokyo Jukebox 3, um, there was kind of an overall theme. It was to try to get really adrenalized, kind of really um, encouraging, um, uplifting, the type of sound, the type of music that gives you power when you feel like you're about to faint or about to give up. Um, the reason for that is um, I wrote the, uh, I made the album with athletics in mind, um, um, not only for the Olympics, but for the Tokyo Marathon. I've been uh, playing the opening ceremony for the Tokyo Marathon for the last four years. And every time I play a really well-known Japanese song or two, and these are all songs from my previous Tokyo Jukebox albums. And then the record company said, well, now you're confirmed to do the marathon again. Why don't you think of some new songs to play? And then, uh, and then we'll do an album of it. And I'm like, that's great. And they're like, you know, if, if things go even better, um, we might get lucky and get a place in the Olympics. You know what I mean? So I, I was all about that. And so during production, COVID started to happen. And uh, it didn't stop my record, but it stopped the Tokyo Marathon. But the, the concept was all in place. I really wanted, you know how it is when you're working out, when you're running, or when you're doing anything that takes a lot of stamina, sometimes certain songs, and I'm sure a lot of songs that you play, especially in the hard and heavy genre, the really exciting, upbeat, powerful stuff that just gives you the tingles when you need to run, um, I wanted to keep my whole record like that because I didn't know which songs I was going to use for the marathon. And who knows, maybe some one of the songs could be used in the Olympics. So I wanted the whole thing to be just like adrenaline, just full on adrenaline. And so that was my concept for the record. And then, um, you know, when COVID happened, a lot of things got canceled, but I started to feel that while I was making the music, it was very cathartic to me to make this really feel good music during this time when, you know, at the beginning, it was really, really scary because people were dying. Nobody knew what was going on. Everything was getting canceled. It's still, of course, scary now, but we're all used to it. We're numb to it. But at the time when I was recording the record, I'm like, this is like super cathartic. I'm making this really positive type of thing happen trying to do something positive and it was working for me. And it really, uh, it, I think it's my favorite album as far as my records that I've made that really make you feel kind of uplifted. And uh, that, that was the goal in the record. And it kind of ties into the song that, that you were talking about because uh, if, you know, don't give up is such a cliche and it's a really boring cliche, but 
man, there's a lot of boring cliches that are like coming to life these days. So uh, I really, uh, really wanted a song that kind of uh, encompassed that feeling. And that was what that song is. You know, I don't know if you know this, but Alice Cooper actually did a song called Don't Give Up during the pandemic, putting out the same <laughs> message and actually activated his fans to do something where they show up in the video holding up signs like that. So he almost was did that it before in English. My, was that before my video or after my video? I think it might have been before, Marty. At least I saw it before. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And it's on his oh new God. record, but he, you know, you, you did it in, in Japanese, obviously a different song and he did the same sort of approach, but obviously, uh, you know, in English. Well, listen, we're all, you know, in the same boat and myself and any other artists, any other musicians, regardless of even whether you like those people or not, we're all doing the same exact thing. We're all just trying to entertain people. We're able to, make music and as fans we know the joy we get from music so if we're able to give that to people that's what we're able to do so like it's, it's a common message i wouldn't be surprised if other people are doing very similar things and uh who knows if i was the first i'm sure i wasn't i mean it's not the most original idea in the world and uh i, I consider it in honor that alice did the same thing i did Right. I was going to say you'd be far from the, the first person to follow, you know, something that Alice did. Obviously, Alice <laughs> a pioneer. So you're you know, you, you pick from a good one there if you even yeah, though it was unintentional. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, in the time that we have left, tell me about. Well, first of all, I want to ask you this real quick, because obviously there's there's a lot people should check out this record. You've got something you did on here uh, for the Japanese government. You've got some covers. You've got original material. But but I also want to ask you about the cover of the record, because you went full kabuki yourself on the cover. Right. The, I mean, for a minute, it was unrecognizable that it was you. But that is you on the cover. Right. It's me. And it's not even photoshopped. It really isn't. Um, that I did my first two Tokyo Jukebox albums the exact same way. Um, there's a lot of stuff done with makeup and there's a lot of stuff done with lighting and there's a lot of stuff done with angles and all that stuff, but it's gotta be, it's gotta be a real photo. And, um, the first two Tokyo Jukebox albums, um, if you've seen it, and like for me, I really believe it or not, I hate to see my face on an album cover, but it was the only thing to only way I could do the exact cover that was going to work for the Tokyo jukebox thing. So the first two, it's just my face and half of it is in real Kabuki, Kabuki makeup. And um, so I wanted to top that on the third album. I really wanted to top it. And so I got the same team together and we had this big meeting. How exactly are we going to top this? How are we going to make this even more you just more insane. And uh, we got a different photographer and he showed me some of his work and uh, we decided to really make it authentic Japanese stuff. And, and if there's anyone in the world who can't stand cheesy Japanese, cheesy white guys in Japanese clothes, it's me. I'm the last guy in the world who's going to do that. And so I was like, fearing for my life that it was going to come out cheesy and um yeah it's just the whole idea you know there's a lot of gringos over here that get off on doing that and that's fine but for me I just I don't I feel funny doing that but 
when it's done right and done really tasteful by the ultimate staff and the ultimate team, I could get something that I wasn't embarrassed about. And conversely, I actually really fell in love with the picture. And to me, it just looks like an album cover from the 70s. Um, it's just such a really nice piece of art. And it's not because it's me, it's because the, the art, the design of the whole thing. I mean, to see the thing in vinyl, it really just, uh, it's my favorite album cover that I've ever done. It's just something I'm really proud of, the artwork of it. And it fits the music perfectly. I mean, uh, I'm just like a rock and roll guitar player from DC that came over to Japan and a lot of things happened and kind of turned into this thing. And it's just been the most uh, uh, musically growth oriented step that I think anyone could ever take. Um, it's just, I continue to, uh, you know, strive to do more things and with music. And I think that this album is a perfect representative of that. And so the cover just, uh, it was hard work to do. I mean, those are actually two very heavy kimonos that I'm wearing. And it was like super hot in there and um, it was crazy. And I actually shot a video with me playing guitar with, guitar with these two heavy kimonos on. And it was very, very difficult and did not look comfortable. And I scrapped that video because it just didn't look comfortable. But the album, the album cover just really, uh, it, it's, uh, you know, people are going to hate it. People are going to say I look like a guy in drag and I'll have to definitely agree with them. But I still love it. I still think it looks cool. Um, and it, it's the cover and I wouldn't wouldn't have it any other way. Well, uh, I only have a couple minutes here left, Marty, but I wanted to. So as far as live shows and I encourage people to check out this record, because I'll be honest with you, sometimes very guitar centric, mostly instrumental records can get fatiguing and boring to me. But your records don't because they always take you on a journey. They always take you on twists and turns. They always keep you on your toes. The same with the live show. That's why I've come to see you many times because I, I love the live show because it's so engaging. There's always something going on. The band is tremendous. So are there any plans um, now or is it still just talk to be able to tour? You got an outline to be able to do shows, even if it's next year. What's the game plan? Well, thank you very much for those kind words. I really do appreciate that. Um, yeah, my band, um, as you know, they blow me away every night. I mean, you'll you know go leaving the concert thinking of them and not me. This is this is a fact. Um, but uh, really, playing in Japan was a reality because it's non-international travel at this point. Um, I've got some offers to play in festivals in other countries and touring in other countries. Um, um, specifically, Australia is, is something that uh, we had a wonderful tour in 2019. So we're going to do something in uh, 2022 next year. Um, but as far as the U.S., I'm still, you know, I'm just still waiting for the right moment. And I'm sure it's going to happen. Um, the second that international touring becomes more of a thing i'll probably won't be one of the first people to do it um you know like i said i've got a great team in america and in europe that are putting together my tours so as soon as it's safe for everybody to do it on both sides the coming and going side i'm going to be there but unfortunately i don't have exact dates for you but if i were to guess i would say 
maybe sometime around this time next year. And, um, you know, I'll still be playing this record for everybody. And I'm not going to skip over it because playing this new stuff live has just been such a, such a thrill. And uh, I, I won't leave America and the rest of the world out. So uh, I'm going to guesstimate middle of next year. And I mentioned that at the end of the the video for the song whose name I which uh, the name I butchered, I uh, you've got a quick cameo there from from Jason Becker and uh, Jason's story continues to amaze. And I know he had a setback recently, but he came back from that as well. Uh, obviously, you're still in touch with him, and um, you know just just remarkable story. I mean, I, I've emailed him from time to time. It's just incredible. The perseverance. I mean, he really does sum up. Don't give up. And I, I wonder when you look back at those records you made with Jason when you did Cacophony. What what do you uh, what do you hear when you hear those records now? Uh, uh, two young guys like that starting out their career. Do you st do you uh, do you do you think you listen to that and you think of the the growth of where you've gone, or is there something about it when you listen to it and it, it, I imagine it takes you back to that time? What what do you hear in those records now? Hmm. Um, I don't really go back and listen to stuff I did in the past too much, but um, if I were to go back and listen to it, I'm sure there would be a lot of ideas that I think are kind of like um, primitive versions of what I'm doing now. Um, I was much more of a limited vocabulary back then, but I always, even before then, um, had good ideas and um, presenting those ideas takes maturity to present them in a way that they're effective. In the time of cacophony, my idea of presenting ideas was just, here it is, listen to this. Um, but um, when you do that, you, you miss out on the opportunity of really giving good ideas a great picture frame to make those ideas look even better and sound even better. So there's probably a lot of really cool ideas, a little, a lot of good germs of ideas. Um, but as each, each album progresses, I've definitely um, progressed in how to really, you know, give people goosebumps and give myself those chills and those, you know, the spine tingling moments. So, uh, but I think there's still, still stuff to be proud of with those records. And it was great to see Jason, um, you know, I, Jason was 17 when we did that stuff and he just, uh, he spurted like in growth, like, like an absolute genius, like he had a past life or something. It's like, where did he get this growth from? It was just such an amazing, I grow a little by little, but he like from the first cacophony record to the second one, it was like he grew 10 years in, in there and it was probably less than a year between the records. So um, watching him just blossom was a wonderful thing to remember. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, man, it's always great to visit with you. I'll let you get some sleep. I know you're, you're coming up on uh, four in the morning or something there. So thanks for staying up late and doing this and everybody check out, check out Marty's new album, which is Tokyo jukebox three. It's out now. It really is some cool stuff really takes you on a journey. It does drive you. I'll tell you, I, I need to get to the gym more often, so it will definitely be on my rotation and Hopefully it'll help me with those extra uh, extra couple miles on a treadmill or something because it does do that for sure. Again, it's Tokyo Jukebox 3. It's out now. And Marty, I hope to see you in the States sometime soon when things permit or one of these days I'm going to visit Japan. I've never been there, but I'm going to come look you up maybe and visit you one of these days. So thank you for the time. Marty, thank you, brother. Thank you very right. much. 
Great to visit with Marty. Love to visit Japan one of these days, and uh, I will definitely look Marty up if I do so. Appreciate him joining us. Check out his album, which is out now, Tokyo Jukebox 3. Thanks earlier to KK Downing for joining us. And again, that album is coming in August, KK's Priest. Thank you all for listening to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Thanks to Joel Pollack for producing it. Uh, Please be sure to follow me on social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, Instagram, fan page on Facebook, eddietrunk.com is the official online home. If you're in the Dallas area, come and see me next Friday, June 18th at the Guitar Sanctuary in McKinney doing a speaking Q&A show. That show will also be made available as a stream. So if you're not in the Dallas McKinney area, you can buy it and watch it streaming Go to theguitarsanctuary.com and hit events or hit the ticket link off of eddytrunk.com. That is June 18th, speaking Q&A show in the Dallas area and also offered as a ticketed stream as well. If you buy an in-person ticket, it also includes free beer. June 18th, Guitar Sanctuary in McKinney, Texas. June 19th, I'm in Oklahoma City uh, hosting Dirty Honey and Joyous Wolf at the Diamond Ballroom. Other upcoming appearances, June 25th, Houston, Warehouse Live with Lita Ford, Warrant, Bullet Boys. June 26th, hosting Lita Ford at the Ideal Ballroom in Tulsa. There's a lot more on eddytrunk.com. Please come and see me. Check out all the dates listed there. Have yourselves a great week. Back next Thursday for another new podcast. And also, of course, every day on Sirius XM Volume Channel 106, live 2 to 4 Eastern Time for Trunk Nation. Take care. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.